0: Hey, this is Dave. Right off the top, I wanted to reach out to two members of the Busker Hall of Fame staff and thank them for stepping up their game. First, I'd like to thank Magic Brian, who's become the lead story producer for the project. Brian has been instrumental in listening to all the recent interviews and determining which are worth turning into episodes and which need to be re-recorded. This is amazing because his critical ear is making sure we're constantly improving our approach and the quality of the content that we're putting out. And for this, I'm enormously grateful. Next, I'd like to give a shout-out to Al Miller for becoming the producer-editor of the One Minute Micro Stories that get released every Wednesday. We post links to these stories on social media, but if you want to check them all out, visit yappy.com backslash buskerstories. And hey, if you like the audio editions of these stories, you'll probably love the animated versions of some of the stories that Alex Clark has created. Links to these can be found on our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Fame. Finally, I just wanted to say thanks to everyone who's been downloading the podcast and supporting the project. November 1st marked the fourth anniversary of the very first release back in 2011, and I continue to be blown away by the response this project generates from the community. I'm humbled and honored to be a part of the team that makes it all happen. Right then, let's get to it.
1: One guy asked me in a video once, he goes, uh, what's the best thing about street performing? And I said, freedom. And he goes, what's the worst thing about street performing? I said, freedom, you know? Yeah. The thing is, like, they used to be, I don't know how it is now, but half the street performers were, like, college-educated and really sharp or beyond college, and then half of them were, like, street dudes, <laughs> you know? Like, I went down to Key West, and there was this homeless guy, and he was heckling my show, and I'm like, oh, that's funny, the he- homeless are heckling me. Turns out he was DW Blade Master, a sword swallower. He was one of the acts and later that day I went walked down the pier he had pissed himself and he was passed out drunk with the sword in his hand (laughs) he only owned one thing so you know there's dudes who've been in jail crazy shit you know still a fucking great job I mean I don't know it's one of the best things you can do
0: Welcome to Stories from the Pitch, a podcast dedicated to creating a living oral history about street performing and some of the crazy characters who populate this world. I'm David Aiken, the Checkerboard Guy, your host for this growing collection of interviews. All street performers tend to be larger-than-life characters. We're either born that way, our environment shaped us into it, or somewhere along the way we found our inner voice and evolved into something greater. Now amidst this tribe of powerhouse personalities, there are some legends who have a little something extra and William Lee, a.k.a. Master Lee, is one of them. I have a theory that the first pitch you work shapes the performer you become, so it's no surprise that Master Lee was shaped by his experiences working the street pitches of New York City, in particular Washington Square Park. That famous lyric, If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, rings true. Because Will earned his chops in one of the most aggressive street pitches in North America, he found success wherever he traveled. This interview dives into more than just a career that spanned over three decades, though. Sure, Will has had huge success as a street performer. Yes, he was one of the most recognized street performers in Washington Square Park for years. But he's also had to reinvent himself to keep performance as a viable creative outlet. Be it stand-up comedy or playwriting, storytelling or other forms of writing, Master League continues to learn, continues to grow, and continues to live a life that's full of great stories from the pitch.
1: 11-11-2014, Magic Brian, Master Lee, Air Hammer in a tree house in the East Village.
2: Yep.
3: The last time I saw Master Lee was here in
1: this garden one year ago. In this tree house. In this tree house. We're in a botanical garden in a tree house in the East Village. and it's the. I think it's the ultimate green room.
2: It's pretty amazing. There's a lot of uh, public gardens down here. This is a pretty cool one. This is my favorite one. It is pretty late in the evening. We should mention that yeah, it's really late in the evening. Will, even though he's moved from this neighborhood, has a key to get into the garden. And so we thought, what a great place to do an interview. You grew up
1: in this neighborhood, did you not, William? Yeah, I've been here since I've been 15. I moved out when I was about 47. So fifteen to forty seven your mother, my mother got a, an apartment around the corner, yeah, she got a whole floor for a hundred and fifty bucks, which but this was uh on sixth street between a and B it was uh two abandoned lots and um five abandoned buildings, so it was it was kind of dangerous back then but what year was that seventy eight maybe seventy nine something like that yeah, it
2: was very different down here, yeah, it was dangerous a lot of uh, arson.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> they call it Jewish lightning, but all right, but yeah, there was a lot of arson to collect the yeah. You know, insurance. So. Yeah. Um,
3: so, um, how did you get started, street
1: performer? Well, I went to this good high school, but I hated it, the an academic. And um, I had friend. I had a friend who was a juggler and he used to do Broadway intermissions John Lynch very clean juggler amazing juggler and he would do like a five minute show and you know make 25 to 50 bucks sometimes you could do two or three intermissions in a night mingling make like you know 75 to 150 bucks a night and uh which was pretty good yeah, I yeah. Mean, back then shit, the even now it's pretty good 150 a night you know people have to work in a restaurant all night for 80 bucks you know yeah well, mm. that's how I start. I, I learned I started as a juggler and then I was so scared of the audience that I didn't make eye contact with the audience for six months and uh I would like <laughs> I'd keep a fucking I'm Chinese so I'd keep a log of uh every penny I made and like the weather conditions and stuff and like if anything weird happened and you know that kind of thing
2: so wait straight away you start doing street
1: no no I was so scared that I think I learned how to pass clubs and torches, and I did a team show with my friend John Lynch. We made 10 bucks, and we we had beer money. We had five bucks each, and I was so fucking happy. And I was so scared. I, I didn't do another show for two years. Where were you doing these shows? Uh, well, the first show I ever did was a team show with him. was a movie theater line, because it was a captive audience. Okay. But it's really hard to get a volunteer, you know? Right. But... And where was
2: that, that at? What, what part uh, of town?
1: This was the uh, like twenties, maybe twenty, twenty eighth Street. I want to say twenty ninth Street in the, the the East Side. Yeah. And then after that, uh, I did. I started doing intermissions, and I had this job where um, I was working at an ice cream place and coffee place, and I poured out my bag, and we counted it out, You know, the, all the coins and the dollars and I made 75 bucks and my, my boss was like oh how long was that I was like, that's three shows you know because I was working the whole eight hour shift for 60 bucks
2: so yeah. how, how common was it that people were just doing shows at intermissions for the people on the sidewalk was that you have to run from the cops a little bit you know because because I don't see that no, no one I mean maybe the breakdown's are doing something
1: similar you know, so but- it's, the great thing is it was five minute shows so you didn't have to, you didn't need a setup. You, don't, you need, like, one or two collection lines, so it's, like, perfect for a beginner, you know? Right. And at the end, I was making, like, 150 a night, you know? But I always wanted... Because I lived in East Village, I always wanted to do Washington Square Park, but in those days, Washington Park is, like, gladiator, you know? It's like...
2: Right. So, wait, when you first started doing these shows at the intermissions, how old were you? Like, 15?
1: No. Nah, I was... The first show I did was 17... And then the second show I did was 19. Okay. And then... Because you waited two years. I was scared, you know. I I learned how to juggle five balls. I learned how to juggle three torches with tricks. I was way overqualified, you know, Mm -hmm. for like a basic five-minute show. But I was scared, you know. I, I, I threw like two torches under cars. First time you throw a torch under a car because you're, you're you know you're doing a Broadway intermission. People yeah. come out during the intermission, do a five minute show. You know, so, a lot of space. Yeah, sometimes I'd say to limo driver, "Can you pull your limo up one foot this way, and one foot this way?" And you're standing between two limos. And I was doing chops, you know, with torches, and one got away and it went under the car. You have to go for it. So I went and went for it. And your whole life goes you know, flash it before your eyes, and then you grab it. And then the second time, you're like, oh, that, you know. Yeah. So, um, I'm part of the third generation, I want to say, of street performers in New York City. I think it, well, who knows when it really started before the 60s, but around the, the, the 60s, people got re- you know, they they had reinvigorated, reinterest in uh, street performing. So the early guys were like, you know, Jeff Sheridan, this magician, you know.
2: Yeah, such a part. Yeah,
1: and uh, a lot of guys I don't remember. Chris
2: K. Part. Chris
1: K. Part, yeah.
2: I know. I talked to Moshi, and they were saying they would work on uh, Columbus Avenue. Yeah, I was doing shows on the sidewalk in Columbus Avenue,
1: in like the '80s. Yeah, I worked Columbus Avenue. The thing is. The hardest thing for a beginning street performer is good to get a crowd. So yeah. I would, like, I'd have, like, 15 minutes of material, and I'd do, like, 10 of it trying to get a crowd, and then I'd have a five-minute show left.
2: Well, you and wouldn't need that many people if, on Columbus Avenue. It's so small. You're
1: just working true. on the sidewalk. Well, also, like, a magician's a different show. Yeah, know? definitely. Especially if you have a stand. Yeah. But you worked up there on Columbus Avenue? Yeah, my, after I did the five-minute shows... Then I went everywhere. I was like Soho, tried to do a 15-minute show. Uh, you know, Lincoln Center, tried to do a 15-minute show. And then finally, I think I had like 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes. And then I did Washington Square Park, but I, did, I didn't I did do the fountain Yeah. or the main area. You were kind
2: of training for it. You knew that something was happening there. You kind of yeah. working towards that
1: goal. Yeah, I always wanted to, but, I mean, they were crazy good acts. I mean, you know. Who
2: was working then?
1: Charlie Barnett was the best. Yep. My name is Charlie Barnett. I live in Harlem. I have a summer home in Newark. <laughs> that would be his opening, you know. He was insane. Could so you uh, describe Washington Square Park for the... All right, Square. Washington Square Park is the middle of the village. It's the most commercial part. They used to deal drugs in, you know, in, in Washington Square you Park. Used to? Well, it, it was overt. And you know Bobby Fisher played, uh, you know, chess there in the old days. It was like a great place, you know.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, like Hendrix, Dylan, all, you know, all those people were there. There's a big space. Oh, oh, the fountain is gigantic. The fountain is like 400 people maybe, you know. If you there's eight sections, so all you need is 50 people in each section. That's, you know, 400 people. That was like my goal
2: were you working at the time when there would be like four shows happening at the same time yeah. and no one had amplification and the shows yeah. were like massive it,
1: well the thing about amplification it used to be kind of like a weird macho thing hmm. you know I'm working with down an the dam and then you know ten years in I think I did Halifax and whatever it was like 88 or 92 some long uh, time maybe that's what? did you do it in 1994 no I think 80, I did the second year whatever that is the big year, yeah, it was monsters. Holy shit! It, it's like going into a town and raping and pillaging the town. The town had seen street performers, and then they doubled the size of the festival in Halifax the next year, and um, it was unbelievable. Just you know, was that the year of the prize? Yeah, the prize. Oh my god, they gave a ten thousand dollar prize, and people were cheating. Like the monkey organ grinder guy, he had a monkey and an organ thing. He stole another guy's box. You know, I mean, the thing was fixed by Dale. You know, but you know, uh, Waldon Woodhead won ten dollars. Wow! But they're you know they're a fucking great accent. So. Dale was a bit of
3: a legend of his own right. Yeah, he's a little bit of a cokehead.
2: So let's yeah. backtrack a bit. You're talking about Washington Square Park. So you worked your way. Yeah. You kind of felt you need to put your time in on weird pitches that kind of existed was it normal to just turn up in places and do
1: it you're still pioneering i wouldn't say you're pioneering like halifax but you know you're the third generation so after the first generation came like tony vera you know the fire blower yeah big six foot fire blower who wore a fireman's hat and balanced a girl on his uh chin with a chair and then there was like who was next uh charlie barnett a lot of the the really good mimes, uh, Shiner Shiner was working mm-hmm. the uh, the Met, the steps at the Metropolitan Museum. Jeff. Well, how
2: did what, just define just to go back a little bit? Just because you're saying you felt like you're in a third generation of street performers here in New York. Okay, maybe there was the '70s,
1: the '80s, and the '90s. That's maybe an easier way to okay.
2: do it. Okay, so and '70s was guy was, like Charlie Barnett. No, no.
1: '70s was like Chris Capehart, like the late '60s and '70s. That's yeah, like Chris Capehart and like Shiner. Uh, what's his name with the uh, you Sheridan, Jeff Sheridan, Jeff Sheridan. Yeah. and you wouldn't see it that much. They'd have the, the, this was the first generation. You could work a pitch forever. There was no line. Yeah, the, South Street Seaport didn't even exist. Yeah, right. You know, that was the late late eighties. Yeah. <laughs> Second generation was like kind of really powerful acts like Tony Vera, Charlie Barnett, and then Albert Owens. Uh, third generation was like. You was saying third generation is nineties, and that's where you've. Yeah, like I think Robert Nelson Butterfly Man had a card that said King of the '80s, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was going to get one that said King of the '90s. Yeah. So I want. Let's go back
3: to Washington Square Park. Yeah,
1: so we're going back. Yeah.
3: So you start. Well, you know, street performing doing. in New York City and working the biggest pitch in the city was Washington Square Park. The big. Well, city
1: after pitch? a while, Bethesda Fountain is bigger, and the Met is technically bigger. But the, the problem with. Um, really big venues in terms of steps is you can't as a speaking act you can't yell up the steps it's really good for follow mimes
2: but Bethesda is fine for sound I, yeah I yeah, there, yeah, 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 you could,
1: yeah you could do Bethesda yeah. but but
2: in Washington like, so you'd work the street and then you, when you started working in Washington Square Park who was there when you felt like okay I have a sh- I have this show that's this long Tian
1: Fu was a big did you know Tian Fu? no he was a big influence on me because he was like one of the few Asian performers what did he do? he did a juggling show you know, he would be like, um, you know, he'd do, he'd do like devil sticks and like, uh, you know, he's he's doing cruise ships now. So he was like an influence. And then who oh, so was Tony Vera, Charlie Barnett. I mean, these are like monstrous acts. It, it was vicious back then because they would set up next to you. Like if you're a new, new guy in the thing, you did the inner circle, which is like around the fountain or the fountain. Yeah. They would set up their crowd next to you to try to take your crowd. Tony Vera would moon the other acts. So. Spoken it, like a about true It was professional? really aggressive. I would say, like, at night, it's two-thirds black and Puerto Rican. Yeah. So that's intense, man. What year is this? Jesus. I mean, 80s to 90-something, they cleaned it up. Like, I remember Butterfly Man, who was a big influence, he came through uh, in his van and it was midnight and me and Tian Fu were going to do a team show and we could barely handle the crowd is it that goes, how late you can work in Washington Square
2: Park yeah, you can work at midnight and didn't fuck Jesus Christ yeah, yeah it was good so too. you started at like
1: 6 nah you, you could start at fucking noon if you wanted to but nobody uh, on a weekday everybody's doing drugs and nobody's yeah. like up at noon you know, yeah, drinking. Yeah. I would work I would work noon. but um, uh, so Butterfly Man came through I don't even know when maybe around 90 88 around Halifax and he, he, we couldn't handle the crowd, and he took over, and he just started insulting the crowd. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy's going to get killed. And he could handle the crowd. This yeah. is like Puerto Rican guys and drunk Italian guys hecking the shit out of you. We go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, he, he was doing like the Richard Pryor black man. Mm-hmm. So it, it was like a revelation. Then I was like, oh, my God. Damn. And how old were you at this point? You're like 1920s 20? No, 20, early 20s. And you had been working in the park for how many years? I was. I, I was, like, silent. I would be like Tian's food, like, passing clubs. Oh, really? So you did a duo with him? Yeah, yeah. I, okay. I wasn't, I was, you know, I, I learned how to juggle, like, seven balls or eight balls. So mm-hmm. I was, like, technical. So you were the classic Chinese performer?
3: Yes. Yes. When did you start moving around
1: and traveling and seeing... Well, Lee Ross... Free performing beyond... Lee Ross, who, who you all know... Totally.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, He was... Uh, he took me to Paris for the first time. Luckily, I'd spoken French for four years. And I could barely do a show in French. So he took me... Um, he took me to Paris for the first time. We did shows in uh, Centre Pompidou and um, Les Arc, like the ski lodge. And it... You know, that... That's mind-blowing the first time you leave, uh, you know, you leave uh, town, you know. And then after that, I think the next year we did Halifax. So that was... How long have you been in the street when that happened? God, okay, so that's... Jeez, you're making me do math. Maybe, like, early... Oh, I was still William Lee, so I hadn't gone to Amsterdam. What does that mean, you were still William Lee? Uh, It takes a while to find your character, whatever, Yeah. you know, your voice and um, there's only three shows I cried at after the show <laughs> and uh, I, all, I was doing Covent Garden and all these uh, acts were like hey man you should go to Amsterdam they speak a lot of English and in retrospect I'm like they're trying to get rid of me so I go to Amsterdam and uh, I do a show and I do my easiest joke hi I'm William Lee I'm from faraway China town there's silence the crowd turns and whispers to each other, and then they nod their head. Oh, I'm like, oh my god, that's my easiest joke. This is gonna be a nightmare European tour. <laughs> so, so I don't get a lot of laughs, right? And I'm so upset, I just like leave my bag there. I don't even collect, and I'm like crying, and I'm walking out. And Mckeeo from the uh, Dutchman, Flying Dutchman, is walking me around, and then, and then I come back, and the crowd is still there. The crowd actually built, because they're like, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. Like, if, the crowd, if there's a crowd, it will keep on building. So now there's a gigantic crowd. I pack all my stuff. I'm like, I, I actually made some money. <laughs> he made like 70 bucks. Um, I pack all my stuff. He said, no, it was a good show. I get really stoned, and I'm walking through the uh, streets of Amsterdam, and I see this martial arts gi in a window. I'm like, holy shit, that's it. I am master Lee. Oh, wow. You know, and I, you know, studied a little bit of martial arts, but I was like, shit, that totally makes sense. I'm master Lee. And then I was like, okay, let me just research shit that I can do. Okay. I can probably break a board. Right. it's a fucking board so and what then, were you doing before the board of oh the, before that I was a comedy juggler comedy juggler not that original enough. jeans and a t-shirt or something well more like harlequin pants <laughs> <laughs> even worse even worse harlequin pants <laughs> and uh chinese slippers and like a bright orange kind of like top At least the chinese slippers yeah well I was a vegetarian for many years mm-hmm. and, you know. um but then once I found master lee I was like holy shit that's you know finding your character is like you know like it is, here, now it is now the, I have a show yeah it it well what 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 you don't realize is like you know it, that's the shit I mean I didn't realize how big a breakthrough that was yeah um and then then I made the whole show fit masterly which is like you know I broke three boards on fire with my hand I chop a cucumber in a guy's stomach blindfolded you know. All like, you know, I do the Chinese War to Torture, it's basically a water fight. Actually, it's a water fight based on Robert's uh, uh, Sword foams, boppers. Yeah. But then, this is my gauge if you're stealing material or if you're changing it enough. If two acts can go on right after another and the audience doesn't know that it's the same routine. And you yeah. changed it enough. Yeah. Like I could go on right after Robert, which i had done, and do the same routine. You changed it enough. You made it different enough. I'm making it it a water not. fight. Yeah. You know? And I'm bowing, and then we spit water on each other and stuff like that. Yeah. But finding Master Lee was a huge thing. And then when I finally got out of street performing, then, like the last, I would say, five to ten years, I've been going for enlightenment. Luckily, Master Lee is a really good character for enlightenment. So, I'm, right now, I'm writing a book called "How to Be an Artist and Not Lose Your Mind," and street performing is like one chapter. The end chapter is Renaissance Fairs. That's when I. That's when I quit. performing, <laughs> really? The joke is like, does start going?" Because I've seen many dark times. I've done many unspeakable things. I worked at the Renaissance Fair, and you know you're hitting bottom when you wake up next to a. Chick, you picked up at the Drench Wench dump Tank booth. <laughs> you're still wearing the leotards from last night, and you're hungover from the mead, you know that kind of thing. So, um, you find your character, and then you can do it, and you're king, you know. Like people say, what is it? What's it like? I'm like, I'm the boss. If I don't mm-hmm. like the crowd, I fire the crowd. They're like, what? You know, like two or three times a year, I'd be like, this crowd sucks get out
2: yeah and it's then not like,
1: worth you watching this show yeah and then they are like what I'm like I said get out get the fuck out you suck I told you to clap like ten times you didn't clap I want to get a new crowd the sooner you leave the sooner I'll get a new crowd fuck you right and then they leave so <laughs> you can't do that in a normal job yeah so when you work
2: when you work in the park when you first started working in the park and you work on these guys and you're getting you have some influence but you're, you're not Master Lee you're William Lee yeah and you're just like a j- you juggling sm- guy with Harlequin pants. Yeah,
1: um, you do the side pitches, right? There's small side pitches. Yeah, you like, go yeah you know. on the little corners. Yeah, like Not there's the a, there's like a statue and like you know magicians work at smaller acts. Yeah, and you get maybe like on the west side of the park. Yeah, you maybe get a hundred, maybe 50, 50 to a hundred people. So when you
2: when you first go into the fountain, when did you feel like okay? It, it I'm, was
1: it was a Thursday. I remember, and Lee Ross was in the audience. He was like, I want to do the fountain. He goes, you just do it. I was like, shit, nobody's working, so. What about Joey Joey? Was he there when you were working there? A little bit later, but. Yeah. So I go out in the fountain, and my knees are fucking shaking, literally shaking. I'm like, shit, I just want to get through the show with the other audience." I I'm nervous. (laughs) Get through the show, make 50 bucks. I'm like, cool. Do a Friday, the show gets better, make 75 bucks. I do the weekend, I make 100 bucks. I'm like, oh, shit. I mean, in those days, I was like, you know, a lot. That was before height. Yeah. Before people did like poles and. So mean, was, but people were did. lining up. Um. In the for the fountain.
3: And really you know, what's the pro? What's the protocol in Washington Square Park? And what was days? it then?
2: Right, in those right, days. Right,
1: another perform- you, Grant, I'm one dude. Like four break dancers, or like, you know, four four. Acrob like gymnastic guys, acrobats, or like six breakdancers walk up, and your greeting them as, like, "Look, I'm next, motherfucker." Hey, how you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, well, you literally, you would go up to them. And go, you know, you'd see him coming in the fountain. You you go over to them because you're next. There's another guy on in the fountain, and you'd be like, "Motherfucker, I'm next." By them, do you mean Tick and Tack? Not just Tick. This was way before <laughs> Tick and Tack. This is like who was. Who else was doing that? This is like flow masters. There, there, there was never a regular crew in... So who were the Calypso West? tumblers? Oh, yeah. Calypso yeah. tumblers are this very powerful act. They're the ones who invented... Well, I don't know, it, Popularized in New York, which Tick and Tack took, and you now every breakdown as a group does Jumping it. over fucking people. Yeah, they would flip over eight people uh, bent at the waist, which was something, you know? Yeah. I mean they would do a thing where a cop car would come through the crowd and he would go sideways over the car. He would borrow somebody's bike and ride the bike and the other guy would flip over the bike. Plus, the main dude, John Ellicott, who last I heard was doing Key West, was funny. He would just sit down and he'd be... Like a chicken. And then he'd stand up and pull out an egg. I'm like, that's fucking funny. You know? Um... So, so they were a variety act. Yeah, there were three acrobats, but they were really good. So it's like, so then my act had to get better. You know, the 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 good thing about working a hard pitch is your act has to improve. You know, and so the, okay, here's the thing: Tick and Tack are this very aggressive two man uh, acrobat breakdancing group. Sometimes four, or sometimes. Yeah, four. sometimes four expands, but they're really like aggressive. Like they do they do things like they'll leave on their amp facing your crowd when they're not performing that's really mean you know so they, the tumblers didn't do shit like that the tumblers they, uh, sometimes they'd bring an amp sometimes they would and they were smoking they were a little bit less organized mm-hmm. but it you know it was a very aggressive did you get along with them i didn't really like them you know i don't like them that much they respected you Enough. I mean, but, you know. I mean, how much can somebody respect you when they leave on their amp and they turn it towards your crowd?
2: Both. Well, both tumblers are tick and tack. Cause both.
1: I mean, yeah. but but the, the the tumblers were actually a little bit more. They were they are actually respectful. Yeah. But tick and tack are not respectful.
3: Yeah. But I mean, the the what the has there ever been like a New York City
1: um, camaraderie? Sort or is of, it, or has it always been hardcore? It's based on pitches. I mean. The, the, the end of Tick and Tack, you know, is that nobody will ever recommend them for a festival. No. So yeah. you kind of screw yourself in terms of traveling outside New York. And like, Okay, there's a whole Canadian circuit, I'm sure you guys know, and a whole European circuit, so no, and then Australia. So nobody will ever recommend them for a gig, even though they do really well in New York. So it's like you're kind of screwing yourself because you're an asshole.
2: Well, the only guys that ever let it was Julio... He say whoever he yeah, yeah, usa because he was the only guy that was nice, was nice to people nice. And, and and knows how to work with people.
1: Yeah, so he would get gigs. I'd see him in Denver, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. So so it was so you, you have you you
1: guys would line up. Well, wow, like it wasn't really a lineup. It was we like. I'm going next, mother. We'd have arguments during somebody's show, right? So in the back of your show, there's three performers yelling at each other. Ah. <laughs> the other performer's like, "Hey man, keep it down!" I'm like, "No man, I'm next." And like, you know, there's a crowd behind the crowd. You know, behind. How big are these crowds? Well, uh, you could fill the whole thing and get maybe five, maybe top out five twenty-five. But that's like people seated inside the fountain. That's if you had a monstrous show. Like Charlie Barnett could do it. Yeah, Charlie you Barnett.
2: You'd fill the whole fountain. You'd fill the whole fountain. You'd be in a
1: space. You'd be in a space the size of this, like a ten by ten space, and there'd be people all. It, it's like bro. There'd be people seated, and then there's four steps, and then a bigger step. And it's a circle. So it's, it's a, a circle. true circle. You playing in the round. It, it's for me. It was like you know Mecca or whatever. You know, it was like the Apollo, but then I did the Apollo. You know, it, I was so happy. I, this is all I wanted to do in my life. And then, around 10 years, I hit a wall. And then, about 20 years in, I hit, like, a cement wall. What was the wall you hit 10 years in? 10 years in, I hit this wall where I was like, I don't want to perform. So, I went back to, um, what... You have to go back to the roots of why you're doing it in the first place. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I did. So that was a rough year, and then the year my mom died was rough because uh, you know I was doing stand-up and street shows, and you have to do jokes and make people laugh when you're really sad. Yeah. So I did the minimum I could do, and then I went down to New Orleans, which is another trip. That's a that's a that's a whole other story. Yeah, yeah, New a- Orleans, New Orleans is like the velvet hell. It's like. You it, didn't go down to work. You just went down to get away. I work. Oh, you are. You were working. I mean, the you know, it's. It, I used to be like I'd walk by a pitch, and I'd start jonesing. And, you know, my whole body would be like, "Oh shit, I could do a show there." You, you know, like be,
3: yeah.
1: I don't have that anymore. It's 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 also like twenty years in. I hit a cement wall, so, and I'm like, it. It started to be like everything that has ever happened. I've seen, I've seen so many permutations of my show, and then if one guy heckled, I'd see a chain of hecklers, like a hundred guys heckling, like into the past. I was like, "Oh man, I got to get out of this gig." Mm-hmm. So, so then I started writing plays.
2: And, and also I remember I mean there's other stuff I want to touch on but I remember when you were doing your Salvador Dali oh shit we you were, saw that? you were putting the fish you in your this. pants alright I I, we were doing, I don't know where we were some we were doing some show some alternative cabaret bro I don't know whatever and then you were like you were fixing the fish that was in your pants <laughs>
1: All right, so I was talking to Jeff Moshi, right? And Jeff Moshi said, "What's what's that guy, the goth kind of magician who was in Times Square?" Chris Angel. Okay, Moshi, Jeff Moshi sees Chris Angel, and he comes back from the show and he calls him out. And he goes, "He goes, oh man, Chris Angel, he reminds me of you." I go, "What are you talking about? Like, you know, rock and roll? You?" I'm like, "All right." So then I was like, "What would it be like if I was a magician? What would I like to do?" oh, shit, it would be amazing if I could reach into my pants, like, unzip my pants, reach into my crotch, and pull out a fish, right? So then I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. (laughs) So, and then I was like, oh, shit, who would do this? Salvador Dali. Well, that's even better. So I got this Russian woman to make me the mustache out of real hair, Uh and I walked around like a fucking Salvador Dali for two years, and then I finally wrote a play about it. I was like, I would do shit, like... I would, okay, I went to Scanton Street Tailors, right? This uh, kind of Rican Dominican tailor, kind of macho. And I go to the guy, I need a suit, and I need a zipper from the belly to the middle of the crotch, and I need another <laughs> one from the back, and I need rubber pockets put in the middle, right? And he goes, and he looked at me like I was, like, the biggest pervert, like he was going to hit me. Like, no, no, magician. He's like, oh, magician, magician, right? So, like that, how that clears everything. Magician. magician, oh, okay, magician that's fun. okay, that's fine. Okay, that's fine. So, I walked around the Salvador. D'A- I would, I would reach into my ass, right? It looks like I'm reaching into my ass, and I would pull out a squid, like a real squid from China, right? Oh, I remember seeing a squid
2: come out. That of was somewhere. dripping.
1: It's dripping. Yeah. And I and I palmed a, a bottle of black ink, right? Like, I am Salvador. I am genius. I will take the squid and I will paint a magnificent. What? Why are you laughing? You know, and then I would take the squid and I would you know paraded around for a little bit this made music on and then i would squeeze the squirt ball they would be like oh shit because you know they know the black ink right and then i would attempt to do like a fucking drawing with the, the the squid i mean i hired a choreographer i hired a guy and paid him 75 bucks an hour you know to learn a fish dance you know, I would do, and now the mating dance of the mackerel. Maestro, music, please. I feel like there's you, a little
2: bit of juggling in that one. Yeah, that? yeah. And, so we
1: turn on Swan Lake, and I do like flips and like catches. But the thing was like floppy and wet, so it's like hard, and the the audience could smell it. You could like, see shit coming off the fish. <coughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> it was so disgusting. I would go to Chinatown and buy the cheap fish. There's the dollar bin and the two dollar bin. And I would buy the dollar bin because I'm just using it for an act. And the Chinese guy once like tried to talk me out of the dollar one. He was like, no, 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 you buy this one. Because you know he knew it was rancid. And I was like, no, no, I want this one. And he couldn't understand why I would buy like the... And then I'd put in my pants, and I would walk, and then after a while, your pants smell. <laughs> so, like, this one guy, his dog, like, ran at my crotch and started barking. And then I couldn't tell him I had a fish in my pants. I'm like, you got to curb your dog. <laughs> yeah. I just kept on but that doesn't make any yeah, sense at all. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I have a fish in my pants. Yeah. yeah, when you leave street performing, it's just like, it, it's like, that's another life, man. Yeah, but
2: you had just gotten tired of it all.
1: It sounds right. I mean, was it was it you
2: tired of the grind? Were you tired of your show? Were you tired of uh, what, what was
1: it that you? I got? did two hundred and seventy shows a year for twenty years. Yeah, that's whatever. That is four thousand something, maybe fifty four or something.
2: You counted every show. I'm Chinese.
1: Yeah, right, you count, I, I, I have had a log of hand. every show, and then I had to let it go. Did yeah. you figure out the averages? Yeah. What's the best of me show? or or other
3: people? You. The best show I ever did? No, just like... Oh, the time of year. Did you ever figure
1: out yeah, that? Yeah, April, October, Sundays, Sebastian, New York.
2: Yeah. So when, when you... Um, I know that um, JP had said that you were a big influence Oh, JP, Australia? Yeah. Yeah, well, JP... Because you guys... You went to uh, Expo 88... Right? Is that what I didn't do exploit. So when was it? What was Lee, Lee did exploit. Um, so what was the year you were out there? Because 80, JP says 90, ninety
1: something like that. Okay, so whatever
2: year you were out there, JP, JP said he say saw you. Next, What's that? Say hi
1: for me. Of course. Hi JP. Hi JP. You can J- say hi to JP. Hey right JP. Um, JP is great too. JP's got great energy, and then he had a really good finishing flourish of like maybe five juggling tricks.
2: He said you were a big influence on him okay. when he first saw you. That he he was a juggler he saw you mm -hmm. and
1: and he said oh I'm gonna do that cool Um, I went to Australia twice so I'm not sure if he I met you in Australia cool when I was in Australia I was in 90 and 97 there'd be three acts in a row right and they would borrow each other's equipment right like a unicycle and like torches the whole thing right and then they would have literally one maybe three lines that were different than the other But <laughs> they're borrowing each other's equipment they're definitely borrowing each other's yeah. lines yeah so I'm like I'm like and then they'd, they'd, they'd be like you stole my material I'd be like
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know the motherfucker wrote that <laughs> you know like Robert Nelson wrote you know anybody got a lighter he pulls out a lighter and then he pours like all the lighters on the ground yeah. he wrote that line so you know I wrote the more money you give the more money I have you know, so th- now these are stock lines. Right? Yeah. it doesn't matter. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, Steve Martin said, uh, you know, th- th- there's two things. You know, you 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 steal in your beginning, and then you try to hide your sources. <laughs> wow. the, yeah, that's How he,
2: much do you do? You feel like you stole when you started?
1: I, I was 60 percent not original.
2: Where did you get the lines from?
1: Yeah, you just listen to people, read joke books, you know, yeah. whatever. And then you know. By the time I ended, I was like, you know, well, actually, I had a couple of lines from Gazzo, which is another issue. <laughs> <laughs> That's like another you can chapter. Do a whole I, can, I can do a whole. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we were in uh, Windsor, and we went around the table, and we you either had to tell a, jo- a joke. You had to tell a story about a, a midget, a cripple, or Gazzo. <laughs> 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 that was like a, the opening night. Um, no, I had... A, okay, so I was like 90... Okay, well, then there's that. So I was about 91, 90, 90% original. hmm But it's a lot of years. You gotta, like, spend years writing. And, wh- wh- and so where did you get the,
2: the ideas for... Wh- once you found your character, yeah. when did you decide I'm Master Lee? Yeah. When did you go, these are the things I'm gonna do. How did you decide... <laughs> well... The breaking was- the board on yeah. fire.
1: How did you decide the cucumber on the stomach? Well, you want to get... The 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 sign that you're a beginner intermediate is your the tricks don't fit your show. Mm-hmm. You're like one guy after I left, uh, some town in Canada, maybe it was Ottawa, I don't know. Um, one guy stole my act, and then it didn't work because it's like you know I would be I'm Asian, so I'd be like I'm begin I masterly. Lee will set these boards on fire, break them with my hand, but first. That doesn't really work that much for a white guy, mm-hmm. you know. So I made the jokes more Chinese and more, you know, that fit me. That's it.
2: So the breaking the board seems kind of obvious. It's yeah. like you break a board. What about the cucumber on the stomach thing? Where'd that? Where'd you get that from?
1: I would search. I mean, in those days there, was, there wasn't really internet, so I'd go to martial arts stores and look through uh, martial arts stunt books and see and what see people did. I was like. I'm not jumping through a fucking hoop on the street (laughs) on fire. That's crazy. Oh shit, alright, something with a sword. Alright, you know, so it takes a while, you know. Did you know that you could cut through a cucumber without cutting
2: somebody's stomach? Well, I, I cut two guys. In 20 years? Yeah. That's not bad. Those unless the you're, unless you're the guy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for, <laughs> as
2: far as numbers. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like 270. Yeah, I cut one guy every 2,700 people. Right. Okay. So that's like a fraction of like how fraction. how bad was the cut? Wow. Okay. The first time I cut the guy, and I've never really told him, but the first time I cut the guy. Uh, it was pretty bad I hit his hip mo- Okay, he was too thin You chomped him in half? No, no U- <laughs> Usually I take out a big dude Okay, here, here's my roles. I take out a, 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 a husband, a father in his 30s Who has two kids with a t-shirt Because it doesn't matter what you do to him He's away from his kids You know, it's, you know this is all party time That's right? great This is what oh, yeah. I do that Good is, this, this is how I choose. Yes. Alright, so <clears throat> that guy wasn't there you know, you can do a show, that type isn't there. So I pick out the I pick out a teenage skateboarder dude. And for those of you who don't know, I hold a cucumber on I have a volunteer hold a cucumber in his stomach, I put him on a blindfold and I chop it with a sword. Okay. This guy's hip bones extended past his s- stomach. Like he was so thin that it was concave, right? So I still have him push out of his stomach. So I swing it. I cut his hip open. So now Shit. there's a gap about like maybe three quarters of an inch, and is bleeding. He holds it, right? I immediately pack up my stuff. He just holds it. He He's holds, not like Fuck. he holds no. He holds it and goes, "I'm going go to the hospital. I'll go, I'll pay for it." Is right? this is this happening here? It's in Washington Square Park, in the middle of the fountain. How many years have been you, you been doing the show? A lot of years, but you still have accidents. No 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 I'm just saying seven, I was years, wondering, seven yeah. years? That's I mean that's crazy. Alright, so I cut the dude, right? I pack up my stuff because I don't want to get sued. So you cut this guy's fucking I, hip. I cut cut his hip. He's bleeding. It's there's a gash. He goes to the hospital, luckily there's St. Vincent there. He goes, comes back during my second show he goes I go, Oh, I'll pay for it. He goes, Oh, no problem, man. He got stitches. But because he was a skateboarder, he thought it was cool. So I got the one volunteer who's like, "No, cool, man, they man, gotta, this they, is. I got a scar from Master, Master League. League." All right, so that's your first, the first. That's a, uh, the first guy you caught. Yeah, that's seven years in doing that show. Yeah, I don't want to go in to the second one, but you can always. <laughs> you, well, you can always have accidents. Of I mean, course, you can if, have accidents. if there's one in like like point one percent. That's
2: one in a thousand. No, no, no. It's 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 nothing. But but the fact that this is something you came up
1: with, this idea, this had not happened. If we hadn't seen it anywhere before. You just thought, no, what can no, I no, do? No. no, people have done you know swords with watermelons and stuff. I'm like, I'm not carrying around four watermelons. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's the that watermelon hard. looks better though. That, yeah, it does. But that's heavier. That's too much. I mean, I might as well do, be doing cinder blocks. All right. So my other question is, besides the, the structure of the show, or mm-hmm.
2: um, your biggest influences, you mentioned a few people, but um, there's street influences. There's well, your biggest influences that made you the let's say this, the performer that
1: you are, and it could be from how you grew from. That's a, you know that's a that's a long list because I'm old, but um, like. My I mean, mom, my mom, she was like a communist carpenter oil painter. We moved to East Village, got divorced from my dad, mm-hmm. and oil painted. That's like crazy. <laughs> um, then after that, maybe I started, I was, a, oh, this is important. I was an usher at a off-Broadway theater that played one more time in Tom Lear, and I got to watch the shows hundreds of times, like, because I was the usher, mm-hmm. you know sit the people, and then you have to sit there and chase latecomers. I watched you know these shows 100 to 400 times. You know, you how old are you though? Yeah, I was a teenage, young teenage, like 14, 15, 16. So you got to watch people just do the same thing over, just and do the over same again. thing and over and over. See, then that. that's that's what busted and him. have the enthusiasm. Yeah, I mean, you know. the Lion King is terrible as they're jaded, but <laughs> they're union, but um, yeah, the the. They were really performing their hearts out, you know. Yeah. You got, you got a gig in New York City. You got a gig that pays mm-hmm. five hundred bucks. Shit, that's unbelievable. So, did you see the the crossover
2: between when you were younger, like let's say the late eighties, when you were doing it, until
1: when you retired? Did you see what the difference was? Was, it, was it something about how it changed that that things things became more standardized for the first time? I'm just going to call it the modern era of street performing because, mm-hmm. you know, there's probably something in the medieval like, times like yeah. right. jesters and stuff. Where, where the formula was established. Or yeah. I could tell what a dude was going to do in his act by his props. Mm-hmm. Like, he would take out his props and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. Because right. I don't want to watch a comedy juggler on a unicycle pretending he's falling in the audience with a volunteer in fire.
3: Right. You know, you know
1: how it's going to end. Yeah. And, if you know, a lot of the um, original crazy things they they don't do anymore because they don't max out. They, you don't max out the uh, the money. There, there seems to be, or at least when I was doing that two kinds of acts. There was a European gun act, and there's an American kind of Canadian act.
2: North American act. North, North American, American. In, 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 well, what Australia, about Australia? Including Australia. So Australia falls into the North mostly, American, mostly. Most so, probably. how would you define
1: those two categories? The the North, we'll, we'll just call it whatever. You know, the, the one's a stunt act; it builds to one big stunt, and that's the North American. Yeah, and and then the Europeans, they can do a whole character act where the thing ends with him giving a rose to a girl. It's theater. Yeah. You, with characters you you, you know <laughs> in America you better be giving the girl a rose after you know you juggled three torches or you know yeah, yeah. Blew, blew something yeah you know, blue fire so
2: where do you feel like did, did you feel like you fell into a category by uh,
3: uh, like purpose merciful.
1: or by mistake we didn't have that back then you know it, it was we didn't have that we were this third generation so you know we 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 didn't have that, and then it became standardized, maybe in the, probably the fourth, I guess. So, like, you say in, like, late 90s? Yeah, yeah. Is, like,
2: when things started... They they, they caught finding, a, finding Finding a formula and seeing a, a, they, yeah. a method, whereas when you were doing it, it was just spontaneous creativity.
1: Like, you creating your, butt first, which just came from yeah. your own... yeah. I mean, yeah, I have I I hope. That's that's <laughs> one of the reasons I didn't do it for a long time. Now I'm doing it partly because my son can see it. You know, he's three mm-hmm. years old. Um, I had hope this year when I did Ottawa. That's one of the reasons I said I'm coming out of retirement. Because I saw you, and what's the other guy with the glasses? Jonathan Burns. Jonathan Burns. And I was like, oh, man, they're doing original stuff that is funny. And I was like, that I haven't seen that in a long time. That's all. Yeah, well, you haven't been. No, I've been doing it for a long. Yeah. Time,
2: so, but when you went back and did Ottawa, yeah, and I watched you in Ottawa, yeah, it was really refreshing to watch you because, you know, you say you're third generation of the New York scene, but you know, your show is old school compared to anything that's around sure. now. Uh, you got a trash bin. You got, <laughs> I, got, I got two, you were,
1: three trash bins.
2: Well, yeah, I don't know. One of the shows you just have, you dragged <laughs> me over. Got this trash out of it and had the guy line up. But you know, you just like use your environment. And it was a pure street show, and it was direct and entertaining. Twelve o'clock show, kind of quiet. Build this beautiful crowd. Drag this trash bin out. That I watched you take the garbage out of it, put it somewhere <laughs> else, and just bring it out there. And I'm like, this is this is
1: street. This is real street.
2: Daniel
1: mm-hmm. the, end of the first year, you said I'm coming out of retirement. Yeah, I was really happy, man. I saw two performers that I liked. Um, were original, you and John. And I enjoyed myself. Yeah. I mean, my son... You did well. Yeah, it was, I, I did records for me, but the last time I really did that was like 12 years ago. Doesn't so matter.
2: matter. You did well.
1: You, well you yeah, know, I had fun.
2: What you do works and who you are I works. I had
1: fun. I, the thing when you get older, you got to pace yourself. Like, I would do a show could sit in the cafe have food you know it wasn't like the old days you know i'd do a show and then go hit on a girl or something or go drink oh i gotta tell you the best one i did oh my god where is this fucking windsor some guys will remember this i'm hanging out at this bar we're all having drinks after shows you know there's like nine or ten of us beautiful woman walks in the bar i go i bet i can sleep with her like no way yeah i'm master lee so I got ten bucks from everybody. I got like ninety bucks, right? Versus my ten. I go over the, I go over the woman. I go, you see those guys? Don't look now. Look at those guys. They bet me ten bucks each that I couldn't sleep with you. Tell you what, I'll give you forty-five bucks <laughs> if you kiss me on the lips and we walk out of this bar together. No, no, finish your drink. <laughs> Kissing me on the lips, we walk out of the bar. I go to my hotel room. I watch cable for twenty minutes. I come back down, collect the ninety bucks. It's like <laughs> the easiest fucking money ever. Because you know, right. okay, okay. Street performers is like sex and and money. Basically. Wow, that is smart. can the the, the the inspiration for this stuff is? I used to hang out in the green room, whatever the the beer room with Robert Nelson, Robert Nelson would just hold court. He would just tell stories, and I was like, holy, you know, that's fascinating, you know. That's like Bounce and Ooh La La and way back. And he would just tell stories from his life, and then I had another friend, Albert Owens, and I was like, oh my God, you have hours of material. You know, I was struggling to get like 21 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, 22 minutes. Okay, maybe if I juggle the ball this way and do, you know, some prop, you know. He had like hours, and then, you live long enough, and you just have fucking hours. After a while, you're the elder. Mm-hmm. You're the suppository of wisdom. Yeah,
2: you're the one that people listen to and ask questions. I mean, hopefully, well, a wisdom. Do, do you do you see that you've had an influence? Do you realize that you've had an influence on a lot of performers over the years?
1: I don't. I don't really see it, but you know, because first of all, I'm not in that scene. When when you're, in when you, the, you when are. you're in the st- well, when you're in the street performing circle. You're, wow, well, you're really into it, you know, if you did more than five years. You're like, that's all you think about. That's your whole world. Then I did stand up. But I, you did it for 20 years. Yeah, I mean, I still have it in my bones, but, you know, I did street shows, then I did stand up, then I did playwriting, then I did, you know, so, so <laughs> stone monologues, then I did The Moth, yeah, and but, then I did, now like, I do Cinque Floyd. Now but I'm you didn't book. see after like 10, 15 years that yeah, you Yeah, people were using things. my so lines. Take so did that, that it back or using my lines, but you know, I mean, but th- you don't see that as being influential in the the, the world I, of street theater, and, and I don't, I don't, I mean a little bit, but I mean, you know, the better thing is I'll be walking through Brooklyn, way you know, hour by train away from where I am in the village, mm-hmm. and Black Eye will go, Master Lee. I'm like. Holy shit, I haven't done a street show in like nine years, maybe 11 years, you know, like a decade. On the streets, especially in New York, it's a special thing. The homeless people and the poor people, they don't have anywhere to go. So Mm -hmm. they go to the park. So they remember you. I don't remember you. I did 270 shows for 20 years. You know, somebody will say the joke is, I think it would leave. It's like, hey, hey, man, you remember me? What do you mean you don't remember me? I was in the fourth row. I was wearing sneakers. You don't remember me? <laughs> yeah, like, and then i just go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah, yeah. the guy with the sneakers. With the sneakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were white? They're, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that yeah, guy.
1: My friend Howard Owens would get in the fight. You
2: remember me? You remember <laughs> me?
1: Yeah, you. No, you don't really remember. Yeah, I remember you. Yeah, you're the black guy. Yeah, we had fun, right? Hey, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, And then, and then it's, people, people come up to me and they you know, they're a great show. I'm like, you have good taste. Yeah. And you just keep on walking.
2: Yeah. And when it, when it, when, <laughs> we talking earlier about, uh, Clifford before the finale.
1: Yeah. That's and a you, hardcore you, move. Learned,
2: you Yeah. So you would just learn that from just working here in New York. People leave. But when, well fuck People leave every, every, Everywhere
1: All to, the time You don't want them to leave They're always gonna leave They're gonna leave anyway Yeah but I can get 80% of the money Versus if I I'm, believe wait, that you, you don't think so? I don't think you can get more money By collecting before a finale Than just doing a full
2: show For people And collecting at the end Dependent. But you've done it You've done both
1: Dependent. Right? Yeah depend. Okay New York City First of all New York City and Washington Square Is a special situation Especially when I work your late show is two-thirds black and Puerto Rican. They wouldn't pay a lot, but they'd laugh a lot. The white people would pay the most. So, the ideal crowd was one-third black and Puerto Rican and two-thirds white. Because the black like, Puerto Rican is like, Ah! Shit, that's That shit's funny! And then the white people would loosen up, and then I'd get money from both. I and, mean, you know, you... Shit, this is just money. I mean, there's a, at, at a certain point... It hits a deep level, which I'm writing about, which is energy. <laughs> uh, okay, you know Andrew Elliott is an Australian sortswalker.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He goes. Um, He's an Indian magician. Indian magician sortswalker, very yeah. good. Yeah. And I would come to these festivals, and I would put in New York energy. You know, I'd climb the highest pole, crap a whip, light a torch, and the audience would be like reeling. And I was like, well, "What's going on, man?" And I was putting out like two to three times the amount of energy as the normal person. So that's like crazy energy, right? And Andrew Elliott said he tries to match the, the energy of the audience. Yeah. And then he takes them places place. So I was like, damn, I should try that. Pepe, you know, Pepe, England, yeah, drunk, uh, follow mine, brilliant. He goes, uh, I go, how do you do it? He goes, um, you know, 100 people come to my show. And they're all breathing in different rhythms. (laughs) Literally breathing different rhythms. He goes, I can't breathe in a hundred different rhythms. They got to come to me. So he said a good show is when everybody is breathing the same way he's breathing. Then the smallest little thing is a thing. Smallest little gesture is alive. Now I go on stage and I just breathe. I'm like, And on a very rough crowd, I have to breathe three times. <laughs> <laughs> I was at the Bowery Poetry Club, which you know about. Yeah, the Bowery <laughs> Poetry Club was like a drunken fiasco in a brilliant way. Some, but, yeah, sometimes it can be really
2: good. And Sometimes, and sometimes it can be, be
1: like, terrible. Well,
2: sometimes it's like surf reality, like <laughs> Yeah, random places we're talking
1: about side. alternate spaces where people would get off Take off all their clothes and paint with their menstrual flow. Like, yeah. so great. Like, after a while, you can only go for the most hardcore stuff because you've seen everything, right? It's a curse and a blessing living yeah. a long time. Uh, my teacher
3: once told me. <laughs> Which teacher? What kind of teacher? Uh, his name's Keith Johnstone. He was into improv. And he <laughs> talked about the audience being a monster. And if, he said, if you couldn't have subdue it, you should make it
1: hate you. Wow. I never heard that one. That's good. Woody Allen said, uh, there's only two things. Creating the monster and feeding the monster. Creating your character then feeding it. I only know what I know. And I I did... I did... I, I did 20 years of street performing and then I didn't want to do it anymore. So that's... This is like a period of time I haven't thought about for a long time. And... I chose a more visceral life because I wanted to be immediate with the people. That, that's just me.
2: It's been great that you've taken the time to sit down and talk with Eric and I. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. And, uh.
1: I'd like to fuck your sister.
2: Perfect. I've never met your
1: sister. She's, uh. That's, that was actually a Chris the Piss line where he, he won a contest uh, in Switzerland somewhere. And. He went up and the mayor was giving him an award, you know, with some money and the trophy or something. And he goes, do you have anything you want to say? He goes, I'd like to fuck your wife. And he like French kissed the wife of the mayor. And then the next year they didn't have the festival. (laughs) Well, what a perfect way to end a podcast. I was just about to say that.
2: Yeah. Thanks, Will. All right.
3: Thank you, guys. William Master Lee.
0: Stories from the Pitch is produced by the Busker Hall of Fame and is made possible through the efforts of a dedicated team who share a passion for the recording, editing, and presenting of these interviews. This episode is proudly sponsored by Dolphin Creative, a company dedicated to supporting street theater and all of the incredible characters who make up this world. Wherever you perform, Dolphin Creative salutes you. For more information, please visit DolphinCreative.org and huge thanks to Stuart and his team for sponsoring this episode. If you'd like to support what we're doing, please do consider swinging by the Busker Hall of Fame website and throwing a little love into our online hat by clicking on the donate button. Your contributions really do allow us to grow this resource and generate more content, so thanks in advance for supporting this project. Music for this podcast came from 357 Lover. Links to both songs are available in the notes section of this episode on the Busker Hall of Fame website. And I've said it before, and I know there's often a disconnect between where you listen to these podcasts and the time you spend in front of your computer, but do make the effort to check out the extra content in the notes section of each episode, because we add a ton of pictures and images that you can only access via the site, and it's really well worth the effort to do so. And while you're on your computer, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes. Simply go to the podcast library, type in stories from the pitch, and download away. And while you're there, please do consider leaving a review and giving us a 5-star rating. It'll take just a minute or two, and it means the world to our production team. Got a story to tell? Something you think we could improve? A performer you'd like us to interview? Or perhaps you're interested in becoming a sponsor of an upcoming episode? If so, drop me a line at cbg at Haven't gotten enough Busker Hop content yet? Well, then check out our Facebook page at facebook.com buskerhalloffame. Follow us on Twitter, Yappy, SoundCloud, and YouTube, or sign up for our newsletter. Links to all of these can be found on the Busker Hall of Fame website on the right-hand side of the page. And to close, we wanted to leave you with another story from Master Lee, who describes the importance in having a say in the running order of a show.
1: I got this gig where it was like three firemen are having their bachelor party, and they're strippers. So I go, hey man, I want to go on before the strippers. They go, okay, we'll see what you can do. He goes, no, really, I want to go on before the strippers. Like, we said, look, man, if I don't go on before the strippers, I'm not going on. So they put me up there, right? And I can handle a lot of crowds because it's like, you know, Washington Square is like a jungle. So I could barely control the crowd because these are drunken firemen. They're like, give the Chinama and I'm a And they're holding up an enema bag. Jesus and I'm like, French. oh, okay, here's how it's going to go. First guy who steps on stage, I'm going to punch him in the face as hard as I can and run. It's <laughs> like, oh, funny. So I. Well, th- he didn't say that. No, know, my brain, you know, I was supposed to do like a half hour, you know, I did like 18 minutes cause you know, I couldn't handle it. And they like, good set. I was like, Jesus. Yeah. And then after me, two girls come on. One girl gets on the pool table, puts a bottle up herself. And the other one is like giving a blow job to a fireman. I'm like, yeah, thank God I said, always go on before the strippers. Yeah. That's the rule. Well, those aren't strippers. Yeah. No. <laughs> You're right. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm old yeah, enough yeah, to yeah. know yeah. that. You got a point.
0: <laughs> on behalf of myself, Executive Director Lindsay Lindbergh, Lead Story Producer Magic Brian and Eric Amber for capturing this interview, and the rest of the staff of the Busker Hall of Fame, we hope this finds you well. And as you perform for audiences around the world, please remember to use your superpowers for good. I'm David Aiken. The Checkerboard Guy. Thanks for listening.
1: Look, I'm Nick's motherfucker.